Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. Got to turn on my other light there a little bit. Um, yeah, really good, Bruce. I mean, that was obviously like a, that was an overtime for the ages. That was a that was a, a, a another taste of the Oilers that started out the season as the NHL's best team. They, they're starting to look in moments again like that team, and they sure look like that team for a lot of the game, which only added to the frustration of them being down zero two. Um, at the start of the third period, you know, with, mm-hmm. I, I think if we were honest, both of the, you know, the, we, 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 I was getting ready to write a really nasty game report and I'm sure you were getting ready to, with a few choice words on the podcast, which you will still have, but they will be tempered by exhilaration and, um, endorphins, mm-hmm. <laughs> positive endorphins. So, uh, Bruce will do two good things each, two bad things and two numbers. What is your first good thing? Yeah, well, I got to go with the, the the last thing, which was a pulsating overtime period, all four, four minutes, 36.6 seconds of it, during which time the Oilers uh, outshot Vancouver 9-1. to one, And by our count of grade A uh, shots, it was 8-1. to one, uh, With every shot the Oilers <clears throat> had, except one, I guess, that was uh, basically a golden scoring opportunity. Uh, this guy, uh, uh, Spencer Martin, in the net for uh, uh, Vancouver, someone called him Spence, Spencer Martin Brodeur. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was stopping everything, and he was stopping it with, you know, he made two saves with the shaft of his stick, one off of Yamamoto late in the third period, and then one off of Nuge in overtime, where they beat him blocker side, and they clipped the little skinny little... The shaft of his stick that's for a goalie that's usually you got to be pretty lucky to catch it with that uh, a couple times pucks hit him and then bounced off the post you know but uh pucks were hitting him i mean dry and and david especially dry i thought he was fantastic in overtime oh god just kept bringing it and bringing it and then he made a great defensive play to pick off a deadly looking cross seam pass that uh there was a vancouver guy sweeping in behind everybody and Dry saddle used the paddle to take that one down, but he was just driving, driving, driving. Uh, Eleven shots on net in total, and I bet you what four of them maybe came in the OT. And uh, I haven't checked that yet, but uh, uh, the orders just kept coming in waves. And Vancouver had one wave for which Mikko Koskinen had the big answer at the big time. That would have really been un- unjust if Vancouver had scored on that one chance. Oh God, paid that would have been so. Painful. And Nurse, he got deked out of his jockstrap mm-hmm. on that one, Bruce. He just totally, totally deked. And, you know, it turns out that he becomes the hero, of course, a moment yeah, later. But, uh, Besser beat him? Anyway, it was a, yeah. it was a, it was a good play. But uh, uh, Koskinen had the answer. But the orders kept sweeping down. You know, Vancouver, um, they were down a few courts tonight. I mean, they're missing their main two goalies. They had three forwards out. And Edmonton had every right to be favored in this game uh, but it sure took a lot long time for them to really take charge of it but i think in the three-on-three overtime for the most part they did and they did everything they wanted to except for put the puck in the net and they finally did that when uh, nurse uh, after nuge won a nice battle to win the puck in his own end nurse took off on a end-to-end rush and then fed it across backhand feet 
right on the tape of McDavid to top it into under the crossbar. You know, and Nurse would be a good player if only he could make a pass, David. You know? Yeah, I wonder all the Darnell Nurse lovers out there, you know, there is a faction of fans who who has never liked Darnell Nurse, who would have right. traded him out of town years ago and is bitter about his contract. Darnell Nurse every every now and again looks like a well, it's a nine million dollar defense when he's gonna be. He's been so the funny thing is, people are already complaining about how he's gonna be overpaid, but he's been so underpaid for the last four well, or five years. Pretty much the whole time, yeah. Yeah, that maybe it's a turnabout as fair play. He uh it was just such a spectacular rush, Bruce. And such a great play, you know, to put it into the slot for McDavid uh on the backhand mm-hmm. like he did. Connor McDavid, the one play that Connor McDavid made in the overtime, Bruce. He, it, it, there was so many of them, but and it was in, it was part of a sequence of other great plays, of course, but he kind of got the puck in the high slot and it was like Magic Johnson to Michael Cooper for the alley-oop. He, he did this backhand pass to Dreisaitl who, who burst into the, into the, into the uh, crease area and tipped it on net for just a very, very dangerous uh, shot. But that backhand pass by McDavid was such, such, such a basketball move. It was, uh. It was just so clever. It was like a bounce pass, actually, rather than alley-oop, you know, off the backhand. Dreisaitl was in on six grade-A shots, six of the Oilers' eight grade-A shots, but not the winning winning goal, almost every other one. I don't know if I said this for the game, Bruce. It was 26 to 9 for the Oilers for grade-A shots. This would have been a bitter, bitter loss um, for the Oilers. I guess if they had lost an over-team, they would have... Over, over time, they would have got the loser point and they would have come back. So there would have been some solace. But right. um, so if they hadn't uh, tied up this game, that would have been that would have been really tough. Which segues to my good thing. Mm-hmm. Leon Dreisaitl's tying goal. Mm-hmm. And he had, um, he had had a, I mean, in the, in the end, he was in on 15. He made major contributions to 15 grade A shots and McDavid made 14 made the contributions to Grady shots. These guys were just given it. But they kind of, uh, they both had their moments where they where they made mistakes. Um, you know, McDavid uh, on the on the power play twice. Um, and uh, Drysaddle early, early in the game was was caught out on a couple plays that led to grade A shots for Vancouver. But everything changed in the third period when they got that, that incredible power play. And um, on the power play itself, they had uh, three grade A shots, two by Drysaddle. Once Bouchard set him up, um, once McDavid set him up for his famous executioner shot where he just lashes a stick towards the puck and the goalie. Um, on the rebound on that same sequence, oh, Pugliarvi yeah. jammed the puck on that and how he didn't score. But then, it, like even after the pen- power play ended, it continued for another yeah. 20 seconds until they yeah. scored. The orders were just totally, totally buzzing. And it was a great effort behind the net by McDavid and Pugliarvi to win the puck, get it over to Nugent Hopkins, who made a fantastic pass, uh, you know, across crease uh, dart right to uh, right to Leon Dreisaitl, who again lashed that executioner shot on net and scored the tying goal. It was a fantastic <laughs> moment for for that power play unit coming alive again. And I have to give credit to Evan Bouchard, who um, was part of the mistake on the shorthanded goal. He and McDavid were the two main culprits on that that goal. Um, 
Bouchard giving up the breakaway. But Bouchard was, uh, he wasn't in on the sequence that led to the goal. But he was, he he did a great job orchestrating that entire power play and a lot of those chances. So he, 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 he looked good out there again. But kudos to Leon Dreisaitl. What a hockey player. What a shooter. Yeah, he's got his, it looks like he's got his stuff together again after a fairly extended dry spell. I mean, tonight he only had the one point, that one goal. But 11 shots on net, 17 shot attempts. And, wow. you know, and, and that's not, without being particularly selfish, I thought he passed up a couple of shooting opportunities to try and feed teammates. He made some uh, uh, some good passes along the way, and uh, he really dominated uh, large chunks of his 26 minutes that, uh, that he played in this game. What's your second good thing, Bruce? Yeah, I'm going to go with Ryan Nugent-Hopkins. Uh, very welcome return to the lineup of uh, of the Nuge that um, um, stabilizes the Oilers in a lot of areas. There was uh, uh, there was a little bit of a false uh, uh, oh, I was going to say false flag, but that's a political term. Where it would look like they were actually going to go with the center's three model in yesterday's practice. And then, of course, by game time tonight, uh, Tippett had rethought everything and decided that he wanted to stack his top six, as he usually does. And Nugent uh, uh, Hopkins went about his business on the wing, but he also went about his business on the power play, on the penalty kill, and, you know, in overtime, three on three. Like, the guy can play in all situations. And tonight, I, I, I really liked his game. Uh, I, you know, he won few battles along. There was one in overtime where it was him against all three Canucks, and he came out with the puck along the end boards in uh, Vancouver territory. And uh, he, he was, uh, uh, he was, you know, he played a good, determined game with a little bit of edge to it, and that's really when he's at his best. I, there are times I wish he was edgier, but when he brings the edge, he's, uh, uh, he's. Uh, 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 near the top of his game and I thought for a guy I hadn't played in like a month December 31st was his last game uh, I thought it might take him a game or two to you know really get his legs back under him and stuff but that wasn't a problem and he see what did he play tonight because this is coming 22, off 22 22 22 56 wow so 23 minutes and he was still going hard right to the end of overtime in fact he was winning the battle that led to that final rush so yeah but good on him it's just nice to see him and that pass he gave to Drysdale, that was a that was a thing of beauty quick glance up boom right on the tape from the far boards hash mark right onto leon's tape on the other side of the ice there was a lane there and boom the puck was through it and set up on a tee for leon to lash at home his, he had a lower body injury, did he not? Like, that's what I think we heard in the end. I think that was... So So for him to have his legs and to be able to skate like that was amazing. And Bruce, I thought he got stronger and better as the yes, game went along. I thought he started to, to get more into it and, you mm-hmm. know, uh, as as it went along. And, and as you mentioned, his play on JT Miller in overtime, there wasn't a good angle of it, but but I, it, it was apparent that he, he, he poked the puck off Miller's stick and that's how it went to Darnell... I think it went to Nurse. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't get an assist on that, but I haven't seen a, the right yeah. angle. You need to be looking up the boards to know for sure. But maybe it was whatever just a stick happened. Check. 
Yeah, he 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 shook the puck free, whether he touched the actual puck or not. He uh, uh, he shook it free, and, and Nurse jumped on it and and jumped into the open ice. So it, it'll be interesting to see if they keep Nugent Hopkins with McDavid. You know, we we talked a lot last year how that didn't work, mm-hmm. but it's interesting with it's a different combination when you have Cutter Yamamoto out with. Um, with those two, I, I, I really do believe Yamamoto is a kind of a glue player who fills in and does a lot of things that help a line out without carrying the puck necessarily. And, um, we'll see, maybe that'll work. My, uh, other good thing is Kyler Yamamoto. Good pick. He was, he was really unlucky not to score. Oh. He had three tip shots, okay. one of them off the crossbar. He had been mm-hmm. like late and late in the game, of course, there was off a um, Bouchard rebound. The old Bush bomb was mm-hmm. fired on that. And, and Yamamoto got the rebound in the slot and, and slammed it on that. And, the, and as you mentioned, it went off the goalie's, uh, the end of his stick, the shaft of his stick. So I couldn't cut. believe it because he had a few, <laughs> few bounces not go his way before that. And he thought that he had the winning goal, I'm sure, at that moment. He, he he had five grade A shots on that in total, mm-hmm. which is which is a pretty amazing. That's pretty good work for a night. He mm-hmm. played well all game, um, so he's he's my other good thing. I you know it, it, it was a it was kind of a um, the top lines really carried the orders in this game, but man, did they ever carry the orders? They carried them right to victory. So, although it was Ryan McLeod who scored the uh, who scored that goal, the big goal, that, the uh, icebreaker. The icebreaker, yeah. We were talking last podcast, I think, about when was the last time we saw the Oilers get a bad goal. Well, it finally yeah. happened. And it's funny because uh, Martin made so many uh, astonishing saves tonight, but that one was uh, just uh, left a little hole and Mar- and uh, Cloud's speed, and I think he surprised him a little bit with the with the shot, and it just found a little gap on the on the short side and. From that moment, I thought, you know, we really do have a chance here because Vancouver is clearly fading, and there's yes. still a lot of time on the clock. But uh, they uh, they didn't waste. You know, it wasn't like they wait. Sometimes there's a lot of time on the clock, and the next thing you know, there's two minutes left, and they're pulling the goalie, and it's too late. You know, but uh, they tied it about halfway through the third, and kind of I think played it fairly smart thereafter. Like there was no sort of dumb risks taken with the tie game in the third period and i mean you got to secure the one point i mean i hate the rule but if it's the rule you gotta you, you gotta you know you gotta play it you gotta play the game and the game there was to secure the one point and then go after the second point and boy did they go after it when the time came but yeah the uh you know that that goal that Martin let in. It's it's almost like the stinker goal rule, right? You let in that stinker goal, and all bets are off. Like the other team takes a lot of heart from that. And uh, if it happens early in the game, you're not likely to win. And if it happens late in the game, well, you can lose then too. Martin did play fantastic uh, through the game. I was wondering if he was somehow related to Seth Martin. <laughs> The great trail smoke eaters and uh, Father David Bauer, Team Canada goalie. Yes, he, yes. he played a little bit for St. Louis Blues on a on a on a, a troika with Glenn Hall and Jacques Plante. Can you imagine and Seth Martin, like three of the most famous goals goalies of the middle of the 20th century? Uh, maybe not many would rate Seth Martin that way, but uh, I tell you, a whole lot of people in international hockey thought Seth Martin was the best goalie that. Uh, 
what's in that circuit. Well, that's how I know of him reading uh, Anatoly Tarasov's great book, Road to Olympus. I bet he says good things about it. He mentioned Seth Martin again and again and again. They just like were obsessed with Seth Martin, the Russians, where they studied him. You're like, how how does this guy do that? Like, how does he do these things? And like, he was there. He was the the model goalie that Trechak was based on. Although, you know, of course, Tarasov had such a huge ego. He he had to, of course, devise the whole thing that Trechak mm-hmm. was going to be this new model, this new goalie, like the new Soviet man. And and um, anyway, that's a tangent, but. Uh, Trechak's game was modeled after a crab. He 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 and uh, Tarasov imagined a crab. Oh, yeah. I don't I don't know quite how that works, but it did work. Doesn't All right, Bruce. Change, right? Yeah, let's let's move on to our bad things. Um, mm. Why don't you go first? Sure, I'll go first with the first goal of the game, uh, scored of course by whoever is playing against the Oilers, because they always score first. And they did again tonight. And it was, you know, there'd been a lot of back and forth. The order certainly could have scored first on a number of occasions tonight. But it was a four-on-four where McDavid was in the penalty box. And uh, it was one of those ones where they called a trip and a, and a dive on the same time with uh, Matthew Highmore uh, drawing the interference penalty on McDavid by diving, apparently. And the ref called both of them. Anyway, it was a four-on-four. And I just thought Oilers sort of lost their focus and they kind of lost the plot. And they had the puck in their own end and they had it for a while and they were sort of doing the Harlem Globetrotters thing where they're dropping passes, dropping passes, and they're not going anywhere and they're not going anywhere. And finally they get it out to center and then Duncan Keith makes a lame, weak pass to try to get it up to Nugent Hopkins. He turns it over. Vancouver takes it in the neutral zone and Elias Pedersen runs up the ice with the with the puck, and uh, Fogel kind of tries to challenge him outside the blue line and just loses that battle. And then Cody Cece kind of backs in and doesn't really stand up and close down the gap on him. And Mikko Koskinen kind of doesn't stand up on his toes, and he backs into the net a little bit. And then Pedersen lets go of that laser that he's got right through CeCe's legs, right through CeCe's screen, and boom, into the top corner. And you and I were still arguing about whether that was an A or a B shot. Uh, I'm sympathetic to the goalie that never saw the darn thing because a defenseman was a better door than a window until he didn't block the shot. Uh, Anyway, and there's enough mistakes to go around that I think just to blame the goalie lets all these other mistakes off the hook. I was a team on that sequence. There was a lot of weak, soft plays. And it resulted in the first goal against, again! And they got to stop with these weak, soft plays with the score 0-0, you know. I completely agree, Bruce, though, that other players made mistakes on that goal. I mean, that's obvious. But... But I also think this isn't a feature. It's not. This isn't a bug of Koskinen's game that he lets in goals like this. This is a feature. He plays back in his net. And there was no one else rushing up the ice with Elias Peterson. He had one play, shoot it on net. You might think you'd at least be at the top of the crease. If, he's, if Koskinen is at the top of the crease, there is no way that goal goes in. But he's always back. He's back. And he lets in goals, I think, because of this style of play. He didn't have to see it if he is in the right position, like a lot of NHL goalies would be who play a slightly different style of play. 
Um, it just would have hit him. He's a great big guy. Get out the top of the crease. That is going to hit you. And the reason it's a B shot is, you know, we, I think it, well, according to our, our, our rules, if the goalie should have made the save, uh, then it's a B, you know, he didn't, then that's by definition a B shot. Doesn't mean CC didn't screen him, gave up too much gap, or Fogel couldn't have cut him off in the neutral zone better, or or Keith, you know, could have made it, you know, just get the puck deep. But I think they were all to blame on it. And when the goalie's to blame, um, well, that's because he, it's, he should have had it. And I think he should have had it. From uh, from that shooting position, the goalie should have it, especially again with no one, no other options for Peterson except that uh, angled shot. So I didn't like it. Um, and me, I'm, uh, listen, it's fair enough to disagree with that, Bruce. There's going to be, you know, if you went on Twitter, I think it would probably be fifty fifty, right? Half the people would be blaming Koskinen, I'm guessing, and then half the other people would be blaming everybody, like you're doing, uh, and not, or and some people would be defending Koskinen. Um, I haven't been on Twitter, so I don't know, but I'm just guessing. Uh, but I take your, you know, I think on the four and four, it's such an unusual situation, right? They don't, they don't practice it much and they think it's time to get fancy and like you do on three on three, but it's, it's not really, it's more of, it's kind of a hybrid situation where you have to still kind of play power hockey, safe hockey. It's not three on three. And it's not the first time they've been burnt on it this year. If, if my memory is correct, I think there's been at least one other time where they just got to, you know, the, the, the players start circling in the zone and the defense, the defensive players all get confused. I, I just, a picture in my head, Patrick Kane moving with the puck in the zone and mm-hmm. the orders yeah. defensive coverage breaking down and, and, mm-hmm. and the orders getting scored on four on four. And that's what happened. Well, it was just, it was just, as you yeah. say, they would, all of them backed off. All of them backed mm-hmm. off, including, yeah, including the goal. And that's a, goal. that's uh, that's how that goal went in. My bad thing, Bruce, is the mm-hmm. bottom line players. Yeah. Bottom line players: Sevier, uh, Derek Ryan, and Devin Shore. The tippet line, we might call them. Yeah. Some fans might call it like it, it is a mystery, and the and even the you know the media, it, the mainstream media guys are questioning tippet. Like, how about that Tyler Benson coach? You know, not so subtle hint, like what the hell are you doing having him on the fifth line when he's easily the best player of that group of players? Like, you know, just hustle, hitting. Um, he could kill penalties as well as Ryan and Sevier at this point. I I, ass- I can assure you of that. I'm pretty sure and, he wouldn't be killing them any worse than they've been killing them. I wrote a post about that today, and those guys no. are getting lit up. By, it's insane how how poor the PK has been. So, I mean, there's one silver line tonight. The PK was one for one. So they got the first time in nine games that they didn't give up a power play goal. So, but they mainly by staying out of the box, out of the box. And, but, and they had, and they had Sevier and um, Ryan out there at the start of that penalty kill. If they had been scored on then, people would have lost their minds. Then <laughs> you would have been one of them. <laughs> yeah. No, not just you. Your, mm-hmm. your story the story you did and the, in the narrative around the PK, like it's, you know, it's, it's talked about and people are starting to figure out like who the culprits are. And I don't, I, again, I can't figure out for the life of me why Jesse Pugliarvi hasn't been given a chance on the, on the penalty kill. He did, he has, you know, he did play in Finland when we were watching him now and then he would be out there on the PK. He did fine. So I don't get that at all, but this is the tippet line. You know, he's got all his, all the players that, you know, fans regard as tippets pets were on the one line tonight, Devin Shore, Derek Ryan and Colton Sevier. And and I 
I've liked all of those players at different times in different ways. Like I, I do see them all as useful players, but I don't see not having Todd or Benson in that mix. I don't see it. I guess he wanted them all on the PK. Is that it? Like you, you need them all, but can't you? Well, yeah. you had Nuge back tonight, so you didn't need them all for the, for the PK. And, uh, the following three Oilers forwards of the 12 had zero shots on net tonight. Derek Ryan, Devin Shore, Colton Sevier. Hey, look at that. They played all on the same line, and not one of them had a shot on net. That's hard to do. Uh, anyway, yeah. the Corsi was good. And as a line, they, I mean, they've thought off, and you could say your fourth line, if they saw off every night, you're happy with it. And that's what yeah. they've done as a trio. Um but during that same time, they've been getting crushed on the penalty kill, which is a large part of what Edmonton's bottom six is about in the Tippett era. So anyway, it just annoys me, David, as a, as a long-standing fan of this team, watching uh, young players uh, shrivel up and die on the vine over and over again for, for it seems like a century. I'm not quite that old, but it's been a long damn time. You know, <laughs> they, got, they have decent young players, and yet... Something happens, and by the time they're 24 or 25, they've moved on from Edmonton, and maybe they have a career somewhere else, and maybe they don't. But Edmonton goes back to the well of bringing in 32-year-old guys that have played on four or five other teams over the time, and they don't ever develop their own depth players, right? I mean, they had Kyle Brodziak. They traded him for nothing. They had Andrew Cogliano. They traded him for nothing. I mean, this isn't just a Ken Hall and Dave Tippett problem. It goes back decades. And it's still a problem. Like, anyway, uh, maybe Ryan McLeod is going to be that player, you know, where he's a high second-round pick, but he's not sort of a golden boy high first-round pick that looks like he might be a, you know, a support player for a long time. But uh, you look around at other teams and you usually find that they got guys that they've been that they've been working into that role for a while, and it just. It, it bugs me. Like it's 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 a problem in the construction of the team that they're not able to do that. McLeod is another player, Bruce. He regularly killed penalties. I think in his first two seasons in Bakersfield, mm-hmm. and and then now like this game, not a second out there, and he hasn't been. I don't think getting much time. So it's it's you have that he's another fast guy with some length to him. Like you know, you know, like Puliyarvi. You get those two guys out there, they will they'll stop those cross seam passes that have been killing the orders recently. They'll have a much better chance, at least, of doing so. I noticed that Tippett did go to Sevier and Ryan initially and then didn't go back to them. He had an unusual combination of Dry Settle and Yamamoto out there. Dry, I guess Dry has been used somewhat, but, you know, it, it's like it's like the coach was, well, I'm not really screwing around here. I'm going to put out Dry Settle and Yamamoto to kill off this penalty. I'm not going to go back. Mm-hmm. I'm not going back to Sevier and Ryan um, as much as I like them. And it's yeah, And I'm not... Coach will like who he likes, and all coaches have their favorite players, but yep. it is, I agree with you, like it's frustrating. Tyler Benson, someone was postulating that he's been the most physical Oilers forward, and it might actually be true. I mean, It was Cassian, as recently as last game, you know? Yeah. Let's yeah. reward that guy with a seat in the press box. Yeah. Devin Shore's not been playing well. You could put, you know, Benson with these, with Sevier and, um, and Ryan, yep, sure. why not try that? Or, or 
you know, put Shore at center. And, you know, any one of the three, I would play Benson. A, yeah, I agree. Shore at center is not, not anything. Though. I kind of actually like Derek Ryan at center as a fourth line center. I think he's not a bad one. If he's that role. He can mm-hmm. get it. He can get the job done. He, he like for for instance tonight he did win all four of his faceoffs. He did was out there for thirty seconds on the PK, got the job done. Um, at even strength though, he's been playing um, in the last six weeks. He's been playing a lot better, and not giving up much in the defensive defensive end at all at even strength. So he's okay at fourth fourth line, but um, he uh, Tyler Benson would be good too. So. All right, let's move on to your our uh, numbers, Bruce. What's your number? Yeah, we're going to go with uh, 02, which is that score that we keep seeing on the big scoreboard over and over again. The Oilers, in their last 10 games, they've given up the first goal in all 10 games. They've given up the second goal in six of the 10 games that they've been down 2 nothing. Uh, and unbelievably, all three of their last three wins came from a 2 nothing deficit. Well... But guess what? Along the way, they've gone three, five, and two because they lost all the other games that they, you know, gave up the first goal. And they have, uh, uh, it's a 29-game run now, David, where they've scored the first goal four times and they've allowed it 25 times, 25 to four. And in those 29 games, they've given up the second goal 14 times. So they've been ahead one nothing four times. They've been behind 2 nothing 14 times. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, it's just, you know, they just can't ever seem to, can't get the first goal at all. And they, and even when they give up the first goal, you know, half the time they give up the next goal as well, or more than half the time, you know. that and it, it's They're just fighting from this deficit all the time. They have to do something to break out of that. they got to find a way to, somehow get one in the first, however long it takes. I mean, earlier the problem was the first goal would be in on the first shot and it'd be a minute into the game, it would already be one nothing. But here the last little while, we've had two games in the in the last three where they were 0-0 right into the second period. And then finally they, you know, had the breakdown and gave one in where you say, well, it's not the defense. It's the fact the offense can't seem to ever score to break the ice. So, whatever it's it's uh, 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 it's an aggravating thing to say the least. It's ten in a row, sixteen out of seventeen. Maybe they maybe they could get some power plays in the first period, and that would help. They don't seem to be getting a lot of power plays in the first period. I will say no, that. this is true. Yeah, no, I I looked that up at one time, and they were they were getting the first penalty in a lot of games. But you know, David, you'd have to flip a coin a thousand and twenty-four times before it came up tails ten times in a row. If you're playing a truly fifty-fifty game, that's that's the odds. And whatever it is, it's not a fifty-fifty game. It seems like a zero to one hundred game. Uh, sure, is hard to win. It, it is so hard to win when this keeps happening. Obviously, I mean, this is that's the most obvious comment on earth, but it's the truest comment too. Well, and even when you do win and you pull it off, now, okay, you've got McDavid's played 27, 28 tonight, and, and Drysdale's played 26, 15. And now yeah. they've got to come back to, day after tomorrow uh, with enough gas in the tank to try and win that game. And anyway, it's uh, they did get the job done, and credit to them. They, you know, they deserved the win at the, at the 
in the fullness of time, 64 minutes and uh, 36.6 seconds, they were the better team. But uh, it took that long to finally get it solved. Well, I think we might, one good news is we might have Zach Hyman back in the lineup. And uh, with, I, I'm suspecting he'll be with um, Dreisaitl and Pugliarvi. They've been put together in practice, and I and I am salivating mm-hmm. to see that line. I think it's going to be fantastic. So, um, that's that's a piece of good news. I, I I'm guessing Perlini will come out of the lineup, and everything mm-hmm. will be very similar. Other than that, no. um, yeah. My so Bruce, my number is twenty six fifty four. It's Evan Bouchard's ice time. It was second only to oh. McDavid on the team, and one second more than Darnell Nurse played. He oh. did that by playing 2017 at even strength, 132 shorthanded, and 505 on the power play. I don't think he was out in the overtime. He's not trusted there yet. Um, he should be, but he's not, uh, in my opinion. Anyway, um, he is trusted with major mm-hmm. minutes, though. And, you know, it's a, it's a two-way sword because we've seen him at, at times this year get eaten alive in those heavier minutes. He kept a clean sheet at even strength, Bruce, in terms of um, not making any major mistakes on grade A shots. He did make the one on the power play where he gave up the breakaway. But at even strength, he was good tonight. He and Nurse were good. He was good on the power play uh, for much of the time. Good at shorthanded, and the coach is obviously going to him a lot. Uh, Just a really interesting player. I just I, I think as he gets his confidence about him and his game together, he he does, I think, have the ability to dominate games with his passing and his defensive awareness. Like when, once he starts to rag the puck a little bit more, like I think he's going to um, get more confident with the puck. Like he's extremely confident with the puck, but I just think he, he'll hold it a little bit more. He'll skate with it a bit more and um, he'll he'll uh, take his time a little bit more with the puck. He he does have that ability to do that. Some people compare him and and I have made the comparison, like he's somewhere on the spectrum between, you know, Justin Schultz to Sergei Zubov, somewhere in between those two players. And, and on bad nights, he he does remind us of Justin Schultz, I think where, you know, this really strong stellar passing game combined with kind of a soft defensive player who makes defensive mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but Justin Schultz turned out to be a pretty damn good player. I think he won mm-hmm. two Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh and was a key player on both of those Stanley Cup winning teams. Evan Bouchard can help the Edmonton Oilers win Stanley Cups. The co- this coaching staff, although they're not trusting Tyler Benson right now necessarily, they are trusting him. And although I'd like to see Yessa Pugliarvi on the um, PK, they're trusting Yessa Pugliarvi. He played 21-53 and he yep. played in overtime. Um, yes. So, uh, and I think that might be one of the first times we've seen Pugliarvi in overtime, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I am mistaken. But, so they, the coaches' staff do have, the, you know, it's not like they, no young players can make their way into this coaching staff's good graces. That is not true. But, um, and, and Bouchard is proving it. His time on ice tonight proves it. Final thoughts? How to have that win. Yeah, uh, if they lost this game, especially in regulation, like a, you know, you know, down two nothing after the second, the odds are pretty low. But uh, uh, they lose this game. Like when you're outside the playoff cut line, every regulation loss is a disaster because it yeah. cancels out a win. 
uh, and you're actually, you know, you're even with a win and a loss in two games, you're falling a little bit behind the league because some other teams will have a win and an overtime loss, you know, or you know, and there's points to be had. So, so once you've fallen behind, you have to start stringing wins together. And as of now, they've strung two wins together. They have a pretty tough team here. It's Nashville, I think, isn't it, on Thursday? Uh, but, you know, this is a... Uh, this is a task they've given themselves with this slump is that they're going to have to start uh, stringing some wins together and they're going to have to beat good teams on occasion. So they're uh, they're going to get a, a good test next game, but at least they're going to get that test uh, uh, with the wind at their back to some degree. They've got a you know two-game winning streak. And as someone on Twitter pointed out, in the last 11 games, they're four, five, and two, which isn't great, but uh, when you consider there's an old uh, seven-game losing streak in there, it's not as... Not as completely horrific as it might be. So they're in the in their uh, Western Division, Bruce. They're sixth right now. They have forty-two points. San Jose is two points ahead of them. LA six points, and Anaheim seven points. But when you look at winning percentages, Edmonton has a five fifty-three winning percentage. San Jose has a five twenty-four winning percentage. LA has a 558 winning percentage and Anaheim has a 557 winning percentage. So Edmonton, LA and um, Anaheim are all essentially tied in terms of winning percentage and, you know, just very even right now. So we'll see what happens here. Um, the Oilers aren't obviously are not out of the playoff race at all. Calgary only has a 595 winning percentage. And and Las Vegas only has a 616 winning percentage. Like there's no team that's dominant in this division. Right. And there's lots of opportunity for the Oilers to advance if they can if they can just figure it out. And you know, we'll see. Maybe there's some new players arriving on the scene soon. Um Evander Kane's name is out there, of course. And but Dylan Holloway had two games. I, I don't I didn't see them, but he played in the uh American Hockey League, had two games, he got three assists. I did I watch some of the assists. highlights and some nice passing there. Some nice passing, and, and we all we watched him last year. Yep. He is a fantastic hockey player. He's so fast, skilled, and aggressive. Yeah, you could see nice him combination. Ma- making an impact in the NHL sooner than later on the wing. You know, as a mm-hmm. third line winger. So, uh, you know, just a real tough health problem kept him out of the lineup. But that's this is hockey. This is this is what happens. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, it's not all glum, Bruce. No, it's not all horrible. No, it's been a pretty horrible few weeks, but that may, we may be coming out the other side of that, you know, David. And I just wonder how how much some of it may have just been the the whole team was down a court, you know, with all of this yeah. uh, all all this time off the ice, all these games where they never had the same lineup two games in a row, where they had people coming back that had been off the ice for five or ten days, or had been hurt, and you know, it was just like a perfect storm of of, of crap. What's happening? <laughs> Shitstorm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. Shitstorm. And it yeah. went, uh, and it's just whatever could go wrong kept going wrong. And it's, you know, the old saying, whatever doesn't, doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And uh, maybe it'll be uh, one of those in the long run. But uh, uh, they're going to have to survive quite a few character tests to get from here to there. And they survived one tonight. Credit where due. Yeah. And, you know, they still need a goal. Like you can't, everyone's been saying, everyone, you can't count on Miko Koskin as your starting goalie. 
I think Miko Goskin might even say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't play every game. And um, I guess they can go to Skinner. Like, he'll be off the COVID protocol. I think he's off the COVID protocol, is he not? So they could go yes. to... To, he was the backup tonight. Yeah, he was. they might yeah. go back. Skinner's played well. So, you know, mm-hmm. he, he does offer that. But they really need Mike Smith to come back right. and play well. And uh, he was just put on LTIR today. I don't know what that means. Maybe that was just a paper move. The fact okay. that he's going to be out long enough um, to, to warrant that. But this is... Twice he's been day-to-day and wound up on not just injured reserve, but long-term injured reserve, which is a minimum of 24 days. Oh, is that right? So he's yeah. out. He's out for a long time then. Here. Yeah, well, I'm not, well. No, it's, I mean, he, he's only he, been he out like on 10 January, days. He played on January 5th in Toronto. Oh, okay. So 24 days will be up on the 29th. So that's, oh, okay. that's within okay. close, close range. But, that's, uh, that's better news than I thought. Because he didn't, he wasn't announced as out until, like he was, he was in practice. And I don't know what counts, Bruce. Like, I don't know when you, when you count it from. Do you count it from his last game or when he went off the roster? Retroactive. They can make it retroactive. To the last game he played? Yeah. Okay, great. So. Well, we'll both be corrected shortly by original mm-hmm. Pozar. Yeah, original Pozar <laughs> and Puckpedia will step in and set us straight if we're, if we're way yes. off the mark as well. Yeah. So. All right. Nice to have that kind of guardrail. Yes. It is. It is. <laughs> We're not, ca- I don't claim to be a capologist. Yeah. All right. Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>